Welcome to the Emerging Litigation Podcast, a co-production of HB Litigation, Critical Legal Content, Law Street Media, and Fastcase. I'm your host, Tom Hagee. So it's unlikely that Senator Elizabeth Warren, you've heard of her, has a future in copywriting for the fintech industry. Uh, Warren, who championed the creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, calls the Zelle Digital Payments Network a, quote, preferred tool for grifters like romance scammers, cryptocurrency con artists, and those who prowl social media sites advertising concert tickets and purebred puppies. That ought to get your dander up. Only to disappear with buyers cash after they pay. Scams and fraud committed via the Zelle platform and other peer-to-peer services are surging. According to one lawsuit, 18 million Americans were defrauded by schemes perpetrated via apps like Zelle in 2020. Some 1,500 member banks and credit unions participate in the Zelle service. People sent $490 billion via the app in 2021. Uh, But Zelle's owner, Early Warning, and its consortium comprising Bank of America... Truist, Capital One, J.P. Morgan Chase, PNC Bank, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo have refused to refund customers for most of their losses. Senator Warren issued a report that the claims for fraud received by just four banks will likely exceed $255 million by the end of 2022, but that's passed. Let me go back and check. That's a $165 million increase over 2020. The senator and consumers say Zelle is violating federal consumer protection law. The heart of the problem is this. Banks and consumers do not agree on the definition of fraud. You know, this, these are days we uh, all question the definitions of a lot of words. Banks define it as when an authorized person somehow breaks into an online account and steals money. Not when a customer is duped into sending money. If you think about the Nigerian prince. Generally, neither Zelle nor its competitor Venmo enable reclaiming funds or reversing transactions. That's awkward. Financial institutions argue that regardless of who initiated the transaction, they merely process transfers as required. It's on the consumer to safeguard their personal account access. As explained by fintech attorney Brad Rustin of Nelson Mullins Electronic Fund Transfer Act, and it's uh, implementing regulation, which is Regulation E, but you knew that, That covers transfers of funds through an electronic terminal, telephone, computer, or magnetic tape for the purpose of ordering, instructing, or authorizing a financial institution to debit or credit a consumer's account, end quote. In 2021, the CFPB, that's the Consumer Fraud Bureau, issued uh, updated guidance related to the liability of consumers or for unauthorized transaction In 2021, the Consumer Fraud Bureau updated guidance related to the liability of consumers for unauthorized transactions. But if a transfer is considered unauthorized under the Act, and such transfer is timely reported to the financial institution, the consumer's liability is substantially limited for the loss incurred. But consumers may risk unlimited liability if they fail to report and funds continue to be stolen. Let that be a lesson to you. Ostensibly, Rustin says, I'm going to call him Brad, the updated guidance was designed to address apps like Zelle and Venmo. The guidance also discusses financial institutions' inability to limit their liability, Rustin says. 
The act includes an anti-waiver provision, which means, quote, an agreement cannot restrict a consumer's rights beyond what is provided in the EFTA, and any contract or agreement attempting to do so is a violation of the EFTA. See, I'm going to call it EFTA anyway. If a private network's rules provide less consumer protection than federal law, a financial institution must still comply with Regulation E, Brad explains. I'm going to quote him. Consumer groups and plaintiffs who have brought class actions against Zelle advocate for a broader interpretation of the regulation to include transactional fraud. However, Rustin explains, the CFPB, that's the Consumer Fraud Protection Bureau, has not adopted such a broad reading. Instead, the agency has limited its guidance to, quote, credential fraud, end quote, or identity fraud. The instances described are those where the fraud or fraudulent inducement allowed the fraudster to obtain login credentials or the access devices. So listen to my interview with Brad Rustin of Nelson Mullins. Brad chairs the Nelson Mullins Financial Services Regulatory Practice. He began his career as a litigator focusing on consumer financial services, litigation, and defensive regulatory claims against chartered and non-chartered financial institutions, finance entities, and money services businesses. He's a certified anti-money laundering specialist and a certified regulatory compliance manager. He's also an expert witness on matters relating to financial regulations and compliance. He is also a member of the Board of Advisors for the Journal on Emerging Litigation Issues, which is really called the Journal on Emerging Issues in Litigation. I'm editor-in-chief, and I know the name of it. Anyway, it's good to have Brad back here, and thanks to Brad for his contributions to the Journal and to this podcast. With that, here is Brad Rustin of Nelson Mullins. Hope you enjoy it. You you have talked about it a bit. So can you give a brief description of how apps like Zelle and Venmo work? I mean, you said we, we compare them a lot to other things, but they're different. So can you give us a description of how they do work? Yeah, absolutely. So what they are is they're truly a consortium of different banks and credit unions, so financial institutions that have come together and agreed to, in essence, talk to each other, right? To say, my customer has X balance, your customer wants to receive money. And we do it in what's called a good funds model, which is in essence what you, if you think about a a debit card is doing, only it's through Visa. Here it's done independently through each of the financial institutions that participate just allows them to talk to each other. And so if it's Brad's going to pay Tom, then Brad's bank will say, yes, Brad has $50 in his account. Brad is good for it. They take the $50 out of Brad's account, put it in a suspense account at my bank or my credit union. And then they tell your bank or credit union instantly, yes, Brad is good for it. You can give Tom instant credit in his account because we are verifying that he's good for it. And so it's basically what Visa and MasterCard do. But interestingly, with Zelle and these other systems, it then settles much more quickly. Whereas if you think about how a credit card works, it can sometimes take up to 72 hours for the issuing bank and generally it is a bank if you're issuing credit cards, for that issuing bank 
to settle through the Federal Reserve System to the merchant's bank for that credit card purchase. What this is doing is it's creating a network to instantaneously link those different financial institutions together. Okay. You talked about this already, but a lot of this comes down to what you've identified. It's a, it's a definitional issue uh, where consumers have a different definition of what fraud is. You, you talked about definition where someone breaks into a bank account is different than when someone tricks you into letting them into your bank account. Yeah, exactly. So if you think about like what Reggie, which, you know, dates back to, oh gosh, the, the 70s, uh, what's the Electronic Fund Transfer Act and the implementing regulation E was designed to prevent people who stole credit cards, stole ATM cards, stole your bank account number, and then used them for purchases, right? Unauthorized access to your account is really back then what it was focused upon. And so if somebody stole your ATM card, they went to the ATM and they typed in the code, got the money out, you weren't responsible, your bank would reimburse you, and then the bank would have a claim against the fraudster. To your point, the real issue is when you switch to a card-based system with Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, JCB Diners Club, the, you know, kind of the fifth one of those, is they created their own system of what's called zero liability, which said not only are we going to protect people who steal your card, we're going to protect you against people using it without authorization. We're also going to protect you against fraudulent merchants. And so if you swipe a debit card, then the merchant doesn't deliver what they're supposed to, right? You signed up for the beachfront hotel. It ends up the hotel is next to the dump somewhere in the middle of the island. Then in that circumstance, you don't owe the money. And that's because the card network created a set of rules that transfers that risk to the merchant. That's not really a regulation E issue. That's a card network issue. But because so much of the world right now runs over a card rail, a lot of people have come to expect that, that if I don't get the hotel that was promised, if I don't get the puppy that was promised, if you know I don't get the item that I purchased online, I can return it or make a claim through the card. Well, you know, you can't do that with a check, right? Which is kind of what this is mimicking. It's real-time checks, right? If I give somebody a check, as long as their name matches what's on the check, it's a properly payable check, right? I don't get to say, well, you know, I can sue them if they didn't give me what was promised, but I don't get to go to my bank and say, no, 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 I was supposed to get a puppy. I paid with a check. Please refund my check. No, they would say, please call the police. There is a scammer, very bad person. You ought to get your money back, but you've got to go through that person, not the bank. Okay. Now you've mentioned it a couple of times. Have you ordered a puppy online? <laughs> no, it's the example that they always use uh, in these. It, it's either an online romance scam that the congressional investigators, all you know, the, the the members of Congress always use, or it's the puppy scam, you know, with the purebred puppy. And I don't know why they always default to those, but uh, you know, the purebred puppy and the romance scam. Got it. Uh, I just hadn't I hadn't heard that. So I maybe no. I think it's I, I, I don't know maybe- if Congress is happy though. Like if you ordered online romance and you got online romance, I guess you then got what uh, you agreed to, and they're happy with that. But. Yeah, maybe maybe that could be it. I ordered a jackalope once. I mean, those are. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's if that's coming up in the fraud. So uh, so I need to ask. Do I need to ask you what does the Electronic Fund Transfer Act say? 
or is you just kind of uh, okay what does it say because that's highly debated (laughs) okay what does it say sure the electronic fund transfer act defines a thing called an access device which if you think about when it was written in the late 70s 80s is it was envisioning cards right nowadays they've used that same concept to be an app to be a code Anything that accesses a bank account is an access device, and it's written to protect from unauthorized use of an access device, including by crime, right? If somebody comes and threatens to beat me up and I give them my ATM card and they use it, then I'm not responsible for that, right? Because it was through force, intimidation, violence, trick. Little bit different, and this is where the the gray area develops, is... What if the person tricks me into giving them my mobile app login? CFPB issued guidance end of 2021 saying that clearly is reg E. If someone tricks you into giving them your PayPal credentials, your Venmo credentials, your Zelle credentials, you're not responsible for that. Okay, trick, fraud, that all sounds awfully familiar. But now the question is, what if through lying about the transaction, they tricked you? And a number of members of Congress advocated that Reg E should be read broadly enough that there is no distinction between I get your credit card information online through trick versus I get your PayPal account through trick by lying to you about the puppy. And the question is, where do you draw that line? And traditionally, most banks and most credit unions, and and candidly, the regulators have said, if you paid the person you intended, you meant to pay Tom, Mm -hmm. and Tom got the money, bank's not responsible. Now, if Tom lied to you, if Tom threatened you, and that's the only reason you gave Tom the money, okay, that's different. But now the question is, what if Tom just tricked me into giving him the money? Traditionally, most financial institutions would say, no, we're not responsible for that. You'll have to go and you know, file a complaint with the police or sue Tom because you meant to pay Tom. We got the money to Tom. Tom is the person who picked up the money. We did everything we, we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's new guidance, mm-hmm. uh, new, new FAQs from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Well, what do they say? Yeah. And so this is the interesting piece, which is they exactly mirror the language of Regulation E. And what I mean by that is I don't want in any way imply that they somehow change the rule. But in these FAQs, they start to blur that line. And what I mean by that is they say, well, if someone were to call a consumer and pretend to be from the bank, and I say, give me your login information, That is covered by Reg E. Okay, most of us would agree. Then they say, if a third party were to use phishing or some other method to gain access to the account login information, that's Reg E. They don't answer the million-dollar question is, what if it's a scam? Does it count? And they don't answer it one way or the other, and a lot of bankers are concerned Because you had Senator Warren, you have the Protecting Consumers from Payment Scams Act that's running through Congress, all which is trying to say Reggie should be interpreted to cover transaction fraud. 
And the Bureau, when given the opportunity to issue these FAQs, did not clear up that distinction. And so it's not that they've said it is blurry, but they clearly had the opportunity and they chose not to draw that line in the sand. And that's what's causing all the banks to panic because we don't know what the rule is, right? There was an opportunity and the Bureau didn't answer the million dollar question. And on top of that, you have these big class action lawsuits that have been filed against different banks over this interpretation of Reg E. Okay. I, I think you've answered the next questions pretty well, but I can ask them just in case you, you have discussed this. Most people assume they, they have limited liability when it comes to being scammed. So are they covered for losses? What are their obligations? They're saying no, uh, they're not necessarily, uh, not necessarily covered. It depends on how it happened. That's essentially it, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that is if you used a card, the card zero liability rules may help you. But if you pay with check and, you know, as it stands right now, most financial institutions, if you pay with Zelle and the money got to the person you intended, the bank's not going to recredit you. Okay. And you've also discussed the difference between transactional fraud and uh, credential fraud. Um, That's exactly so you, right. Yeah, you've discussed that already. Okay. What about litigation? So, see, there's there's class actions in California, New Jersey, Florida, maybe others. What what are you paying attention to in terms of litigation? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there there is two flavors of litigation around this. One is there are class actions that allege that the banks engaged in a pattern or system of denying any reggae claims related to Zelle, meaning their default setting was just deny the claim. Because Reg E says, and the Electronic Fund Transfer Act says, if someone disputes a transaction and there are timelines that are set forth, the bank must investigate it, must look into your claims and issue you a determination as to whether it's covered or not. And so the first is a bank could violate Reg E by just pattern denying these things and not properly investigating the claim. The second raises the second issue, which is if there is transactional fraud, is the bank responsible for it? And, and truth be told, at some point, one of the courts of appeals is going to get this issue, right? It's all at the trial court level right now. At some point, one, you know, the Ninth Circuit in California is going to take a, a claim out of the District of California. You may get the Second Circuit that sits in New York. And they're going to issue an opinion on to, as to this issue of the interpretation of the breadth of Reg E. And I think as bankers, we're closely monitoring it because then suddenly all of us are going to have to adapt to that because right now the regulators haven't cleared up the issue for us, right? There's not a CFPB FAQ that says, well, what if there's a fake puppy, right? And I can't point to the fake puppy FAQ and tell a customer, well, you know, I hate it. The Bureau has said this is the rule. And until they do, it's really in the hands of the courts. And the question is, what's going to be the first court to decide it? Because likely it sets the tone across the banking industry. So I'll have to look up these cases to see if anything recent has happened. Are you aware of any decisions at the district court level? Yeah, a couple have been dismissed at the district court level, uh, mainly either on standing grounds or because there was lack of commonality. And I think there's been some strategic dismissals to try to consolidate these things together into larger class actions. But I think as soon as you start getting these determinations, uh, to my knowledge, most of them are still in the discovery phase. 
I would expect that the plaintiff's bar, the, the, the consumer advocate bar, as soon as there is a favorable determination, I would expect you will see different groups doing copycat litigation all across the states. That is often how it works. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. So Brad Rustin, thank you very much for talking with me about this today. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Thanks for having me. Is there anything else you wanted to add? You, you covered it pretty well, but. Yeah, no, I think the interesting piece is going to be there are lots of programs like this in development, right? The Clearinghouse is doing real-time payments initiative. The Fed has said they want real-time payments, meaning the like U.S. Federal Reserve System. This is getting ready to be a massive issue, which is the whole world wants real-time payments. I pay you, the money is instantly available in your account and instantly gone from my account. And I think if I'm just, you know, reading tea leaves, if you will, you're going to have to have a whole set of rulemaking for Reg E on this issue because it's a big enough issue and it's getting ready to be a massive issue once you have all of these different real-time payment systems spun up. Okay. I'll put that in as your closing thought. Okay. <laughs> that was well done. You're always very, very articulate. Even I understand you. Thanks. Thanks, Brett. That concludes this episode of the Emerging Litigation Podcast. If you have any questions about anything you heard on the podcast or would like to participate, please write to me at editor at litigationconferences.com. The Emerging Litigation Podcast is a co-production of HB Litigation and Critical Legal Content, my companies, and Fastcase, and our friends at Law Street Media, David Nair, Editor-in-Chief. This is also the audio companion to the Journal on Emerging Issues in Litigation, published by Fastcase, Full Court Press, Tom Hagee, Editor-in-Chief, Morgan Wright, Publisher. I'm your host, Tom Hagee. That's why I'm talking, and I don't know if it needs to be said, but this is not legal advice. Unless telling you it's not legal advice is legal advice, although I'd argue it's just plain common sense. Thanks for listening. Give us a rating, share with friends. See you on the next episode.